Thank you, Paul. Hannah, it's good to be here this morning. Let me just, a uh, couple of things real quick. Uh, next Sunday, spring forward. So uh, just an early reminder. And so spring forward, move those clocks uh, forward next Sunday, the 13th. I believe that's correct. Um, our Easter service, which we'll, you'll be getting emails and it'll be in the bulletin and uh, uh, we'll make sure you have that shared information. Just kind of the first uh, shot with that. It's, we're going to have it at nine o'clock. We'll have just a, we won't have Sunday school that morning. We'll have a breakfast that we serve, uh, breakfast type items and stuff like that, pretty light at eight o'clock. And then we'll have our Easter service at nine o'clock. So looking forward to those two things. Uh, our text this morning, go to Colossians chapter 1, and if you would, look to uh, the handout that uh, is in the bulletin. So we continue in our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians, and uh, I'm going to begin uh, reading in verse 13. Chapter 1 of Colossians, uh, verse 13, for he, God, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. So it's been three weeks ago, we looked at Christ as creator. And then now verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning from the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might have, uh, might come to have first place in everything. Talked about that, Christ having first place in everything, in everything. So now, this morning, for it was the Father's good pleasure, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, I said whether things on earth or things on heaven or in heaven. And although you're formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body uh, through death in order to present you, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. When we talked, when we began that last week, we were talking about uh, reconciliation, what it means to be reconciled. And again, in this, uh, on the handout, I've included uh, this uh, definition of, of uh, reconciliation, what it means to be reconciled, what happens, how that happens. Uh, I want to focus on uh, one particular area, though, because we, if we understand what Paul's written to the Colossians, and we've defined reconciliation correctly, um, then what does reconciliation accomplish? What does it accomplish? I mean, it, it, it's obviously, it's the purpose of God, and the purpose of God is realized that reconciliation, that purpose of God through his son, through his cross and his blood. And, and as we focused on last week, we've been made holy. The one thing that, that's the only thing that God can do, only God can make something holy. There's, there's, no, there's no exception to that. Man in all of his ingenuity and intelligence and abilities and all of which are God-given, 
uh, cannot make something holy. You, you can't, I can't, only God can. And so God takes something that is not holy and he makes it holy. And that's part of the reconciliation. And he does it through his cross, the cross of Jesus and his blood. So go to Romans chapter 5. I, we're, I'm going to just make a brief reference here. And then we'll go to uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, and uh, really, that'll be the focus of this, this morning's message. Uh, I will make a reference back to the 101st Psalm. But so... This, this reality, um, the Father's good pleasure, um, is reconciliation through Christ. Think of the accomplishment, the accomplishment. Verse 1, chapter 5 of Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's accomplishment. God has accomplished something through making us holy, the, the only place, and Scripture is very thorough about that. You know, if you, the older a person gets, and you begin to ask those people, what would it, you know, what would you really want? When you've lived long enough to accomplish enough and struggle through enough and fail enough, and if you ask uh, people as they get older, what is it that you'd really like to have? I think the overwhelming response and answer, and I think there's been a lot of research on that. People say, I just want to be at peace. And they say, well, I want to be happy. And then they equate happiness and peace. I just want to be at peace. There's so much about life that is not peaceful. We, we're looking for peace and happiness and joy in so many things, whether it's a career, the accumulation of wealth, so that I can go do the stuff that I want, whatever it is. Uh, but what we're really searching for, I want peace. I want peace in a dark world, a divided world. I want peace in my home. I want peace in my marriage. I want peace with my family. I want peace in our country. I, we want peace. When we equate peace, it's the foundation and even the umbrella that happiness and joy and all the other things that we want. We want peace. And as God reconciles us, the only thing that that can be accomplished through the reconciliation of God is genuine peace. I, I am convinced that it is not, it's not even remotely possible to have peace, remotely possible to have peace unless we're at peace with God. I know people, I've heard people say, well, I'm at peace with God. I'm not sure they know what that means. And I'm not being critical. I've heard people say that in context, and I'm thinking, okay. Maybe something's happening in your mind and heart, and there may be some peace that you've, an equation of peace that you've come to that, okay, it works for you, but does it work for God? Is it the satisfaction of my flesh or the settling of my mind and the resolution of something that allows me, okay, well, I have peace. Well, genuine peace from God, genuine peace from God is based upon this. That means that you and I have been justified. We, I, there's never the concept of being at peace with God can never be satisfied and never be realized until a man or a woman could say, you know what? I do have peace with God. You know, might make that statement, but you'll only make it spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, 
in, from the depths of a, a, a spirit and a soul that has cried out to God in our depravity and our sin, looking for mercy, and then being assured that you have it. And you're assured that you have it on the basis of what? Right here. He says, verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace, faith, grace, in which we stand. And we exalt in, in hope, in the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And here's the justification. The, this is the accomplishment of the justification of, justification of God that now we can confidently approach the throne of heaven and say, it is well with my soul. I, in fact, do have peace with God. And it's on this basis right here. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You might say you have peace with God. If you ain't here, you ain't got peace with God. You got some kind of peace going on. It's probably a worldly peace. Maybe it means you got enough money in the bank. Maybe it means you're in a place in your life where you can rest and relax a little bit. Maybe it means, you know, I've justified in my mind some level of my relationship concerning my relationship. But if it's not based upon this, if, it's, if you've not come to the conclusion that, yeah, I, 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 am, I was helpless. I'm still helpless. I mean, there's no hope for me. Unless I understand that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God dem demonstrates his own, his own love towards us. And not, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the only foundation. That's the only basis for any man, woman, or child to be able to stand before and in the presence of a holy God and understand and say, you know, I do. I have peace. And my peace comes from the knowledge that in my ungodly, helpless, sinful state, something's happened. Verse 9, but more than that, having now been justified by his blood, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, there it is, sinners, helpless, ungodly, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So reconciliation accomplishes peace with God on the basis of the intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and physical truth. In Deuteronomy, God spoke to Moses. He said, you need to tell the children of Israel something. This needs to be the foundation of the relationship that God's people would have with God in the wilderness. This will be it. You don't get this. You don't get nothing else. He tells them, and it's, it's called the Shema. He says, you tell my people, 
that dare to love me, love the Lord their God with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. And what he said was you're supposed to tell them that in order for them to live in a holy, reconciling relationship with me, they've got to love me with all their heart emotionally, with all their mind intellectually, with all their soul spiritually, and with all their strength physically. And so now we see the reality, the accomplishment of reconciliation in a relationship that God established. He gave us his son while we were sinners, helpless, ungodly, and enemies. You cannot and you will not ever have peace with God unless you've come to that understanding that I am ungodly, I'm helpless, I'm a sinner, and I'm an enemy of God. And what is waiting for me is the expectation of the wrath of God. If you said, Arby, you could have some prayers answered that you that could be seen visually and on a global context, I'll tell you one of the things that I think and I don't, you would obviously only God could accomplish it. But if the world needs to know anything, it's this. The wrath of God is coming. It's coming. The wrath of God is coming. Um, if that needs to be sugar-coated or it's not spoken of or downplayed because of preachers wanting to be pleasers of men or, man, I wouldn't want to, oh, what a terrifying thing. The wrath of God has come. And, and Paul just wrote about it right here. He said, what? We will be, What? By his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God. It's coming. And you're either going to be at peace with God because you have been reconciled by God through the cross of Jesus and his blood and God understanding you more than you understand you and God knowing the very internal parts of who you are and God in his judgment would pour his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And you and I are just like an empty vase that we receive that. It says we would receive that. You no more can accept that than the man in the moon. A dead man cannot accept God's love. It's not a biblical truth. You cannot find it in Scripture. We don't accept God's love. We receive it. That's the only biblical truth about the reconciliation of God that gives us peace with God. We're not even complicit at any level. We don't have the ability to say, okay, I'm going to do you a favor, God, and I'm going to accept you. It's not here. You won't find it. It doesn't exist in his word. It's 100% God. It's just God through his son, through the cross, through his blood. And in his sovereignty, he'll look at us and he will pour his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And then there's something on display. Even a wretch like me 
even a wretch like me, God has poured his love into my, Holy, into my heart. Undeserving, an enemy, a sinner, helpless, separate from God. That's what I need to tell you about. That's what the 107th Psalm is about. I'm going to refer to just one back to that point, the 107th Psalm in verse, uh, beginning of verse 10. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Because, why? Because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. I'll ask something. Think about the condition of your heart and contrast that with peace. So is your heart troubled? Are you having a lot of stress? Is your blood pressure the number one cause of blood pressure? High blood pressure is stress. Are you unsettled? Are you worried? Are you living with a lot of fear and anxiety? I mean, do you have a troubled heart? And contrast that to peace. The peace of God can only come through the, the reconciliation act of God that now g delivers me from the wrath of God so I can have peace. And then stress is the opposite of that, a troubled heart. I'm troubled about everything because I, there's more fear than there is faith. I'm troubled about everything. My heart is troubled. Do you know the source of every troubling heart moment in our lives is one thing. Something and somewhere in my life, I am rebelling against the words of God. Somewhere in some point in my life, I am spurning the counsel of the Most High. You could map it. You, could, you literally could map it. You could say, okay, I'm troubled about this. Well, so let's do this. This will be a simple one. This is just politics. How many of you are troubled about the current political <laughs> culture in Washington, D.C.? Is that, are you troubled about, anybody troubled about that? You, you're a little concerned about that? You got a big old heaping dose of Fox News going on or OAN or whatever, you know, reading that paper? You troubled? Now, so there's a troubled heart. So the Word of God and the counsel, the, the counsel, the Word of God and the counsel of the Most High is this, that all authority in heaven and earth has been established by God. All authority in heaven and earth has been established by God. What do you have to fear? If you believe the Word of God and the counsel of the Most High, what do you have to fear? The counsel of the Most High and the Word of God says that you and I are supposed to exalt in our trials and tribulations. Because God's doing something. He's fixing, he's healing, he's creating, he's building. James says it. It's all over. He says, listen, you count it all joy, brethren. Why? Because you can trust God. You can trust his word. You can rely on his counsel. Even in your lowest point. Job would say, I know that my redeemer lives. We're the church. Do we know that? We're the justified, reconciled, People that were enemies of God, helpless sinners, and he reconciled according to his word. And you and I had nothing to do with that. And just as we can trust him to save us in the, 
in the knowledge of his sovereign will that he can look at a Damon and he could look at a Scott and he could say, that man is mine. That woman is mine. That child is mine. I can trust his judgment. And he'll pour his love into this empty base that's helpless and it's an enemy. It's dead in our trespasses and sin. It, Paul would write the Ephesians, and they'll just pour his love of God in there, and it will be justified. And his love will just be filled with his love. And then, and then what do we have? We have the truth. We have the reality. We have the promise. We have the knowledge. We have the assurance of his counsel and his word. And our hearts will not be troubled. Paul would write the Philippians, I have learned the secret to be content in every service. We were at a funeral yesterday, 93-year-old woman in Independence, Texas. And, and uh, the, the testimony about her life, and I believe it to be true. And this was a passage. She, I had visited her when she was in hospice in Brenham, and she'd quoted it. She loved to have, she outlived them all. She just outlived them all. 93 years old. She's been in hospice for over two years and most times just happy and smiling. You know how unusual that is? And if the preacher come in or the chaplain or somebody, a family, she had a grandson, said, read me the Bible, read me the scripture. She always had a smile on her face. And the people that loved her and knew her, this was a life. This was her life. And in the dying moments of her life and the failing health and a weakening body, she was, I don't believe her heart was troubled. That was the testimony. I don't believe she feared death. Well, people talk about peace with God. Oh, I got Bobby, peace with God, really? What you going to do when the final minute's taken away? You really? Because we're going to find out. And it'll be based upon one thing. Where do you stand concerning the counsel, the words of God, and the counsel of the Most High? We say, it's well with my soul, is it really? On the basis of what? You got some money in the bank? You live in America? Your health's pretty good? I've learned a few things. I try to do what's right. Well, it's just foolishness. The only thing that's true and eternal is the words of God and the counsel of the Most High. And he loves us so much. I just ordered a couple of books by Chesterton, and it's called The, the Hounds of Heaven. That God, you aware of this, that God loves you so much. God's well love for you is so beyond anything that you and I can comprehend. He pursues us like a hound. He just, he's relentless, and here's part of that relentless. So what's, what will happen? He'll humble your heart with labor. He'll get you to a point where you can stumble and there's none to help. The best place you'll ever be in your life, the best place you'll ever be in your life, the best place you'll ever be in your life is when you stumble and there's no one to help. When you no longer, I, 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 don't, I, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough acquaintances, I don't have enough uh, oomph, relationship, strength, power, whatever it is that we rely on for to establish my own, the business ain't big enough. The government's not helping. The families, whatever it may be, when you get there, you're going to see how relentless God, because he'll let you go there. It's the story of the prodigal son. 
Luke chapter 15, you go to verse 17, it says, after this young man who, does, I want everything you got to give me, and it's a picture of man with God. God, give me all. I want my inheritance now. He gave it to him, and he went and squandered it. That's what we do. We're really good. Listen, we think we'll even find peace with God as we're squandering a life. But he went and squandered it with wild living. Wine, women, and song. Wrong kind of song, Hannah. And he got so, he, 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 don't mistake the hand of God in that. He, he was depleted. He got a job in a foreign country in a famine where he didn't even make enough money to couldn't feed himself. And verse 17 is right here. Verse 17 is the result of what? It's the result of a humble heart with label and there's nobody to help. And in verse 17, he says, I will return to my, he said, no, after he came to his senses. So many people sitting in a pew have never come to their senses. They have sensed something, mostly religious, not relationship. They just maybe grew up in the church or something or think that, you know, they celebrate Easter and Christmas. I ain't judging nobody's heart. I've just seen it. They have sensed something, but what they have not sensed is this. My heart is heavy with labor, and there's no one to help. It's the dear Lord God Almighty, have mercy on me, a sinner. I have no problem with children uh, making a profession of faith. I don't. Jesus said, suffer the little children unto me, such as these are the kingdom of heaven. But something has to happen, and I'm not sure it does happen. Many, in some occasions, it, it certainly can, and it does, but I'm not, not at the level that it should. We sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a good song. It's true. But then, so, you know, we, something happens, and I would not deny the Spirit of God in that. But then genuine discipleship, genuine discipleship, ministry of the Word, is always going to take that child or even an adult and explain to him these very things right here. The wrath of God is coming. He's made every provision. Do you understand what you just confessed or professed in this understanding? That you and I were, and listen, we're sinners. Paul would say, I'm the chief in his saved state. As a saved man, he would write, to, I, am a, I am the chief of all sinners. So what he'd say. He would call himself a wretched man in chapter 7 in Romans. But he would also say in Romans 8 and 1, therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That needs to be taught. It needs to be discipled into that, that young heart or even that mature heart that is at some level, relying on a relationship with God to save them from the wrath of God. And so we just keep reading it. He said, they stumbled, there was no one to help. And then here's, here's the best part. The, I'm convinced the single greatest moment and moments in my life is when my heart has been troubled and there's 
no one to help. And if I can be honest, the reason my heart is troubled because at some level of my life, I'm rejecting the counsel of God. I'm spurning his counsel. If I got trouble in my marriage, I'm spurning. There's counsel that can fix that. If I'm having trouble, there's not a, there's not a single dynamic in your life that cannot be addressed, resolved, and fixed by the word of God. But we'll spurn it. We'll reject it. And then God will relentlessly pursue us to the point that he'll strip us of everything. He'll make you so miserable. He'll make you miserable in your wealth. He didn't have to strip your wealth. He can make the wealth become even venomous to you. This is is real. And so you move forward there and he says, but here's the, then they cried out to the Lord in their help. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their bands apart. And then here it is. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he shattered gates of bronze and he has cut bars of iron asunder. We're going to finish in 2 Corinthians 5 because that encouraging part of this is that as the heart is overwhelmed with labor, And there's no one to help. The cry comes. God is pursuing us. And what does he do? He saves us. Saves us from our distresses. Brings us out of darkness and the shadow of death. He uh, breaks apart everything that's got us in prison. And then what do we do? We give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. And for his wonders, the sons of men, for his shattered gates of bronze, and cut bars of iron asunder. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation. So not only does reconciliation accomplish the accomplishment of God taking you and I, the unholy, making us holy through his cross and his blood, the next thing, that here's the thing that everybody else is, we're all looking for peace, Maybe it's like old Johnny Lee said, I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. We're probably looking for peace in all the wrong places. You can only be found in one place. But then we're also looking for purpose. That's a big thing now, purpose. Oh, my purpose. I've got to find my purpose. i just got to find my purpose. What's my purpose in life? Because when I find my purpose, then I'll be, I mean, God, we're so foolish. Unless it's God's purpose, it's a futile purpose. That is the bell cry of this generation of young folks. You can see it on all the social media. They're all trying to find their purpose in a, in a futile dying world. And then parents will support it. Oh, little Jimmy's got a gift here. <laughs> no, there's only one gift that you need to be worried about your children having. And that's a heart that's been filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with love of God through the Holy Spirit. That's the only gift. And then when you have that gift, you find your purpose. And it's uh, reconciliation accomplishes that. I'm going to go on verse 17. Now, verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Does the love of Christ control you? If you've been reconciled to God, The love of Christ will control you, and it'll be a growing thing. 
So you should ask yourself, does the love of Christ control you? That's a pretty simple thing to figure out. If your life could be a movie picture for you to sit back and watch, and uh, it, one thing is about a moving picture, it almost always illustrates what the love of whatever it is in our life is. But say, for the love of Christ controls us, then he says, having concluded this, uh, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they who should live no longer live for themselves. Your purpose as a reconciled God, the accomplishment of reconciliation, is that you no longer live for yourself. This, the examining room and the surgical room of Scripture is blatantly honest. It just peels everything away. You say you love Christ? What's controlling you? On the basis of what? Well, here it is. You can no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You doing that? I don't know. He knows. You should know. You doing that? I don't know. He knows. You should know. So, therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yeah, we don't know him thus any longer. We see Christ a little different. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God. All of them are from God. Your ability to see something spiritually and not earthly can only come from God. Again, you're not even, you, you, you and I bring nothing to that table. He does it all by himself through Christ. And so now this is it. Therefore, as if any man is a new, uh, is, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now here it is. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Your purpose in life, you only have one purpose. You just have one purpose. If you love Christ and he controls you, your purpose is not to grow your building, your business, your IRA, your uh, amass, uh, even to live in peace. Your purpose is a ministry of reconciliation. That's your purpose in life. That's the only purpose, and we're so misguided. And Satan, if he does accomplish anything in spiritual warfare, he gets us chasing our tails in what seems to be worthy causes. And they even seem to have some moral something to it. It was so easily fooled. But if it's not the ministry of reconciliation because you've been reconciled, you have not, and I have not, and we have not, and there's churches that have not realized their ministry. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the word to, to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's your purpose in life. You don't have any other, if you're a Christian and the love of Christ controls you, and you understand what was accomplished through the reconciliation of God, there you have no other purpose. You couldn't stand before God and say, well, I have this purpose and this purpose. And, and we, the church is in a very weakened state. A preacher is in a very weakened state. If he cannot thoroughly, clearly identify and speak resolutely on this very thing concerning the purpose of a reconciled individual. You have the ministry of reconciliation, and you're an ambassador. Now, 
Everybody here is an ambassador of something. What does it mean? Everybody here is an ambassador. You may be an ambassador of Texas A&M football program. You may be an ambassador of the Republican Party. You may be an ambassador. We just all are ambassadors. We're all promoting, uh, endorsing, associated with, giving our time, energy, and effort. I, man, I'll tell you what, I'm an ambassador of the federal, whatever youth this, or we just, we spend most of our lives being an ambassador for something. And what does it have to do with the purpose of God who reconciled an unholy individual and made them holy? What? What? Jesus makes his grace and said, seek ye first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Mostly we're an ambassador to whatever our kingdom uh, envelops. Do you, here's a great awakening thing that will happen when the wrath of God appears. Every worldly human individual kingdom that we invest it'll all be burned up destroyed there's no there's only one kingdom and it's the kingdom of god satan doesn't even have a kingdom i could go into great detail i'm not going to this morning there's only one kingdom everything else you could say would be kingdom little k because it has a sense of i I've, i'm going to invest my time energy effort heart emotions whatever all that I possess so that I can have my kingdom. Probably starts in the crib. Little baby demanding their way. And then it, and then it gets into neighborhoods and in communities and in churches. All the people just did my kingdom. Little K. And it, but it doesn't have anything to do with his kingdom. Big K. Capital K. Seek ye first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. You'll only be able to seek his kingdom if you understand the accomplishment of the reconciling work of God. Otherwise, there'll always be this war going on. My kingdom, which entails my money and my way and my wants and my desires, most of which I can justify, are his kingdom. His kingdom. And my struggle is I'm always kind of going from my kingdom to his kingdom. And the reason I do that is because I've not fully understand what I'm supposed to be an ambassador for. Reconciliation makes me an ambassador of Christ. And so that overriding theme over and over again in the 107th Psalm, fools, prisoners, whoever they were, once they cried out to God, because they had spurned God in his word and his counsel, and any freedom, the ambassador of Christ will always do this. Let them give thanks. Let them give thanks for his loving kindness and share with men the wonders of God. That's what an ambassador for Christ who has been reconciled by God, will always do.
There's the challenge this morning. I hope uh, you'll look deeper into these things. I do. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Ask yourself, am I an ambassador for Christ? What's preventing that? Do I fully understand what reconciliation has accomplished in my life? There's the challenge. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you would see fit to reconcile us. <clears throat> reconcile me, Father. Reconcile each of us as unholy, sinful enemies, Father. Helpless, separate from you, Father. And that you would look into my heart, know my soul, my spirit. Look into my mind, Father, and that you would destroy everything that is spurning you, rejecting you, and you would pour your love into my heart with your Holy Spirit. And having been justified, Father, I pray that we would become ambassadors for your Son with the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of Jesus, and it is in his name we pray, amen. Let's